we are continuing a series called um, In God We Trust. I sort of elaborated on what that, you know, even the origin story of, of this inscription that we have on American money. It's essentially a proclaimed, bold statement uh, that was uh, s sort of emerged as a, as a, actually as a response to an increasingly materialistic culture. You know, someone had the bright idea to put it on money and basically make a statement that in, in this country what we're trying to do is trying to connect our like, economic future and hopes and aspirations to our trust in God, which is really unique if you think about it. It's very, very inspiring. So uh, this whole series has been about finances and sort of recalibrating, rediscovering um, um, what the, the place of money in the heart of men, which has been a struggle for humanity since the beginning of time. That's why Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. And um, so today, this is the last, um, th the last episode of the series, so to say, right? And uh, I called it compound uh, treasure. So those of you in finance are going to rejoice today because you're going to geek out on cer certain things. But the idea, I'm going to give it away early on, the idea is that uh, the kingdom of God is worth investing it because it, has, it offers the best return on investment out there, right? Um, and it's not only in, uh, return investment, but it's compound interest. So it's something that keeps growing and growing and growing. We're going to unpack that from the words of Jesus in a second. Um, and, you know, to give you a very sort of a sneak preview of some of that compound treasure is um, relationships, right? So 23 years ago, um, I, I said I do to my bride, Deb, sealed the deal with a kiss and uh so it's it's our anniversary today and and it's amazing yeah it's amazing because it's one of those bright examples as, as i you know i was we were sort of talking about it last night and this morning it, it's one of those things that you invest in in a marriage in a kingdom marriage and something that brings you interest and keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and it's just it's a beautiful thing and I'm so grateful for it right uh, and then and the reason I tell you this example obviously because I'm celebrating but also because that was probably the lowest point the pain point that I had as a non-christian and when I became a Christian that was the one thing I wanted to fix like I, I had all kinds of things to fix but the one thing I wanted to fix is family and romance and God was gracious enough and gave me a hundredfold back. Now, um, going back to the financial allegories and, and images, one of the things that, you know, as somebody who, you know, has a background in economics, I, my theory is part of the reason why the Western world is, is wealthier uh, in, than the rest of the world is that more people invest in the stock market. Have you noticed that? Did you, are you aware of that? More people in the West invest in the stock market, which basically means more people don't only just exchange their services and, and, and efforts for uh, compensation, but also invest money that makes money that makes money that makes money. It's the magic of compound interest, right? As a matter of fact, uh, um, Einstein, Albert Einstein says this, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Now, that is a profound statement, right? And that's Einstein saying something. I mean, uh, this is the guy who, who discovered the theory of rel relativity. And I mean, th this, is, this is a mind that is 
hard for us to even fathom the way that mind went and ventured into. And he basically calls compound history as something that is just mirac almost miraculous. And he basically says the difference between, between sort of financially people who accelerate their financial futures and people who actually pay to the ones who accelerate is understanding and not understanding compound interest. It's the eight one in the world, right? Um, so I actually took a look because I geek out on things like that. Uh, in the world, this is a quick overview, this is not extensive at all, but it, over 50% of the people in the US invest in the stock market. Uh, in Mexico, it's 13%. In Brazil, it's 2%. South Africa is 13%. India is 3%. You can see the disparity very quickly, even at, at, a, at a glance, right? Now, the reason I tell you this is not to give you sort of a, an insight to, into economics and finances, but to make it, a, make it sort of help us bridge the, the imagery that Jesus uses to explain the kingdom of God, right? Um, and he uses very financial imagery to explain the investment we are to make in the kingdom of God. Now, coming from the third world, again, you know, I have this, this perspective of somebody who did not, uh, you know, f for the longest time wasn't even aware of the stock market. You know, one of my first visits to U.S., I had like a, p a bunch of cash in, in, in a fanny pack. There was, remember fanny packs? That's, what I, that's why I carried my money. I didn't have a bank account until my mid-20s, right? Um, and I, my first visit to the U.S., one of my first visits to the U.S. as a Christian was I had like $5,000 in a fanny ca pack that I had to spend in a weekend, and I did, with great delight. <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, so, and I had the ability to do, to do so at the time. Uh, and yet at the same time, that same visit, I was actually thinking about that visit, I had made a shift in a decision of my financial priorities. And the reason, I, and I'll explain the context. The context was, I came to the US as a Christian for the first time, I was like six months old as a Christian, barely breathing, you know, like a baby Christian, uh, spiritually speaking. And at the time I was, you know, I was at the peak of my music career and I had a tour planned. And uh, the, my mentor basically told me, hey, there's a conference in Los Angeles. If you go there, I think it's gonna really be good for you spiritually to get a big picture of the kingdom of God and just people around the world doing amazing things. And, I'm, and I was uh, literally on a, on, a, on a music tour, on a leg of a music tour for that period of time, uh, campaigning for poor President Yeltsin. And it paid really, really well. Like, um, so like easy, easy money. I think I had to cancel 12 cities to be able to go to the US to be inspired spiritually. So tens of thousands of dollars. So I respond to my, to my mentor. I'm like, do you realize that this is, you know, this pays well? And he goes, yeah, but this pays well, but this pays well spiritually. And I think you're at a stage of life where you need some inspiration because you're just beginning to, to learn this lifestyle. And I said, okay, and I went. I made a whole lot of people mad at me for doing that, right? Um, and the reason I tell you, give you this illustration is that it's a shift in understanding what the, where the value is, right? And putting your money where your mouth is, or lack of money in this particular case. Losing money over a greater, tre over a greater treasure over here. Um, in the words of Einstein, that decision was foolish for those who don't understand the kingdom.
but it was a no-brainer for somebody who does. Not even, it's not even a question, right? In Matthew 13, verse 45 to, and 46, Jesus gives this imagery that we have, many of us have heard many, many times. And he says, he compares the kingdom uh, to a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now just hold on to that imagery for a second. Now, a lot of the time when we, when we read this scripture, what we think is, well, this is, this is a merchant who repented from his love of money and is now, money is not important. That's actually the opposite is true. This is a merchant. There's a reason why Jesus uses the imagery of a merchant, right? And he's, he's looking for fine pearls. And what Jesus is emphasizing is the opposite of what we often think. Because this guy is a professional merchant. He's not a Bitcoin enthusiast. Right, you know? If you're, anyone here has lost money on Bitcoin? Because you don't know what you're talking about and what you're doing? You know? Have you heard of people like that? Yes, right? It's different if you're a professional. This is a professional merchant, and, and Jesus is actually complimenting him. What he's saying is that he's looking for fine pearls and he found one pearl of great value. And he made the right move for that merchant is to buy that pearl. Does that make sense? So we've been offering this, um, this term, which is the previous story that, that Jesus told before the, uh, the, the, the pearl, is, is the guy who bought the field, right? So we use this term in tribe a lot, buy the field, buy the field, buy the field, which basically means the broader field of the kingdom of God, you divest from certain things to invest in the treasure that is buried in the field of the kingdom of God, and sort of the specific field of tribe, which is you invest in this community because this is a treasure for you. Now, how is this imagery and the next one that, that about the, the merchant, how do they sort of correlate? How do they flow together? What he's trying to explain is that there's a difference between being all in and buying the field and sort of a broader religious lifestyle. That's what he's trying to drive home over and over and over because he's talking to a religious crowd, right? These are all, most of the, the audience that Jesus was speaking to knew the Bible wanted to follow God. And he's talking to them and saying there's a difference between, you know, their version of churchianity, American churchianity that we have here, and Christianity, which is the teaching of Jesus and following Jesus. Um, he gives another story, and I'm, going, and I'm going to sort of just pay, bring our attention to the very last point of it to describe the very same thing. It's the story, the famous story of the rich young ruler. Everybody knows the story, and I'll recap it for you if you're not familiar with it. There's a, this young guy who was a rich young ruler, came to Jesus and goes, what, what will it take for me to be saved to, to, to do well in the kingdom of God? And Jesus looked at him, and he goes, why don't you go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And, he, you know, and, Jesus, and even, it even says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And, and the, the man went away very sad because he had a lot of wealth, right? Once again, on the surface, what we're talking about here 
and you go, wow, this guy's really greedy, right? And Jesus is calling him out on it, which is true, but there's more depth to the story. The response of the apostles illustrates to us how we may sort of wrestle with that kind of interaction that Jesus had. Wow, that's, that's a pretty intense call, you know, every, you know, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Um, there's two responses after that, after that story. The first one is um, the disciples, right? They don't say what, which ones, but the disciples go, who can be saved? Like they're shocked. And Jesus responds in a very appropriate way because what they're, tr- what they're wrestling with is the wrong question. What they're wrestling with is, with is who can be good enough? And Jesus responds to that, no one is good enough. That's impossible for people, but it's possible for God. And he's basically trying to uh, give us this understanding that there's no way you can earn your way into salvation. Salvation is given us uh, according to our faith, according to the grace of God. It's a free gift. You can't earn your way into Christianity. As a matter of fact, that's the problem of the rich young ruler because the guy is this kingdom kid, right? We call it kingdom kids, a jargon, right? Uh, and, and, they, and the kingdom kid is someone who grew up in the church. Who here grew up in the church? Raise your hand. Okay, right. Grew up in the church. Okay, right. So he's a kingdom kid, and uh, he basically says, hey, Jesus, what can we, how can I get in? Well, you follow, the, you follow the commands, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I've done this since my youth. He's pretty proud of it, right? That's the kingdom kid response. Hashtag clueless kingdom kid. My kids are kingdom kids. They're amazing. But you cannot earn your way into the kingdom. So even if you're a kingdom kid, you have a huge advantage, a huge inheritance. God bless you. Um, I wish I was a kingdom kid. And yet, no one is good enough to make it in. This is only God's grace that allows you to, to gap this, this, this bridge, this gap of, of grace of earning your way in. You can't do that, right? So the, the first people who responded were disciples. Who, who can save? Who can be saved? God, God can do it. It's impossible for man. Then Peter, the apostle Peter, comes back. And he says what many of us want to say. And he goes, well, we gave up everything to follow you, Jesus. What's going to happen to us? And Jesus responds with a very sort of specific, you know, treasure principle in God we trust, almost financial analogy, uh, because he basically says, now you who give up everything, who've prioritized everything under the kingdom of God, you will get a return on investment. You know, in the, in the, in the startup world, I'm sort of involved in that a little bit. It's called the value proposition, a value prop. Or, you know, or he talks about the ROI, right? What's the return on investment? If I give up X, what's gonna, what am I going to get in return? So Jesus is responding with a value proposition of, of the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Um, and I'm, I'm going to read this to you in a second. But the cool thing about this particular response that Jesus has is that it's not a principle, you know, because in the Bible you see prophecies, right? Something that can happen in the future. You see principles, things that happen that will happen more often than not, right? Sort of a rule of thumb type of thing. 
And then you see promises. Promises are things that are absolute. They will 100% happen. What Jesus is about to say in response to Peter saying, we gave up everything, is a promise. And you can see why it's a promise even in the language he uses. Here's what he says. Truly I tell you, no one, and you, note the language, there's the absolute language. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, today, in this life. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's the value proposition of the kingdom of God. That is the value of the, of the, of the pearl that the merchant wisely purchased it's a hundred. The R, what's the ROI? A hundredfold. Now, okay, you might go, this is probably poetic allegory. Yes, it is. But it's more than that, actually, right? It's not merely poetic language. I think what he's addressing also is the deep, hu deeply human interaction that he had with this rich young ruler. And we all sort of wrestle with that. And here's, here's the secret, I think. This is my interpretation, of course, right? If somebody is highly successful at anything, right? You can be highly successful at sports, highly successful as a teacher, as a plumber, as a financier, as an entrepreneur, as anyone. Anyone who is highly successful at anything, usually the reason for that is because they obsess over that one thing at the expense of every other thing. Do you agree? Just, just true. This is universally true. You obsess, you somehow, through nature, nurture, passion, whatever it is that the source of your thing is, you obsess over that one thing. That's what makes you highly successful. You become better at it than most other people. And what Jesus is addressing is that there's, there's a way to obsess over something if you want to be, if you want to be highly successful and we all want that in some way, I mean, whatever version of that we have in our minds. There's a way to do it that is right, that will give you a fulfilled life to the full, experience of life that was designed for you, created for you by a loving God. And a way of doing that where you obsess over something and you miss out on life to the full. And he hints at those things that we miss out on very, very specifically, right? What he's doing is he's redirecting the drive that this young, rich ruler has from the thing that he obsesses over, which is money, to a blueprint that God has prepared for him. And he's saying that in love, to the, great, the pearl of great value. And here's the blueprint. He actually names it. He says, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children. He's not saying that you give up all of that and lose everything. What he's saying is that you already did. For your love of X, for your love of money, 
most people, I mean, if you have ever met somebody who's highly successful at something, what, what suffers usually? You lose your home, not a house, your home. You lose your relationship with your parents. They're weakened. Your relationship with your siblings might be non-existent or weak, right? And at the end of the day, in the long arch of your life, even that one thing, your economic prosperity, which in the agricultural language of the day was your fields, right? You will lose that as well. Why? Because you're incapable of doing it well because all of the, these other things are in the blueprint of God's kingdom for you to, to prosper. And you will lose your fields as well. You'll be less successful in the long run because you're, you are seeing the world in the wrong way. So what he's trying to do is redirect his drive, his followers' drive, our drive here to the pearl of great value. And what he's saying is saying, look, focus on this one thing. Follow me. Sell everything. Give up everything. Give up your passions about everything. Your field, your bank account, your achievements, what, makes, what you think people will love you for and respect you for, and submit it to me. Surrender it to me. And here's the value proposition. All of the stuff that is meant for you, that makes you a fully human, flourishing being, will be given to you a hundredfold. And not just now, but for eternity. How is that for a value proposition? Does that make sense? Compound treasure. No-brainer. If you're wise, you're going to choose that over anything else. That's what he's trying to do. He's explaining that, right? So let me break it down let's very quickly, and before we, we land on something specific, on a call to action here. Homes. A house is not a home. A home is where, where you reside, where your family is, where your heart is, right? And what, you're saying, what he's saying is if you give up your will for your life, you'll get a hundred homes, right? What does that mean exactly? Well, first of all, you get your household, right? An unhappy marriage is not a happy home. It really isn't. You know, a dysfunctional relationship with your kids is not a happy home. You're going to get your home. You're going to get, not only that, you're going to get the God's household. When you come to this community, you get more homes than just your home, right? You get a hospitable community as well, right? Um, I was, it was amazing, and this is, this is true of us. This was true 2,000 years, 2, years ago in the early Christian community. You see the stories early on, very, very, of Christian hospitality recorded, right? And sacrifice, and the welcoming of strangers, and of taking care of the poor, and taking care of the sick. Uh, and it's true today. Uh, my mom, she, she's, um, she's a faithful Christian for many, many years, and she's traveling back home overseas at age 20, uh, 83. And I basically am worried about her, right? Because she's, so she's making this, this transfer from one plane to another, 
in Istanbul, and I'm like, how is she going to make it? She, I mean, she works pretty slowly. She doesn't speak the language. So all I do is just ask some questions. Hey, any, anyone available in Istanbul? Anyone, any Christians in Istanbul? Like within 24 hours, I get an answer and a phone number. I contact that phone. That, that person has never met me, doesn't know who I am from Adam. And I go, hey, my mom, she's a disciple. She's 83. Can someone meet her at the airport just to hold her hand, get the luggage, get her, get her on her plane home? No problem. Just like, just like that. That is true today, as it was as true as 2,000 years ago. You get a hundredfold of households. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Deb and I are about to go to Kiev, Ukraine. So this is sun this Sunday, next Sunday, the day after Monday. On Monday, we go to Ukraine. Please pray for us to not die, going into a war zone. But as we're preparing on this thing, and we're going to go there and support uh, the Ukraine Relief Network, which we are sort of an initiative we started to help the refugees. So we're going Warsaw. You know, a tr you know, you can't fly into Ukraine. You you go to Warsaw, and then you take a train, uh, a car to the border. Then you walk through the border. Then somebody meets you there. It's like this whole convoluted thing, right? Um, then you take a, uh, in Lviv, and then from Lviv you take a train to Kiev, and all of that stuff. So anyway, as we're trying to make this this very complicated uh, thing work, um, we're like, man, we're gonna be a physically exhausted after this. This is this is gonna be a not an easy trip. Uh, and also, we're going to be probably emotionally exhausted because we're going to be sort of exposed to the, the horrors of what's going on over there. And I'm like, I mean, we can t maybe if we can take like three days, just you know, decompress <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> so I s basically put it out there, and I get immediately within within days, I get three households in Europe. S please stay with us. Please stay with us. Please stay with us. And any of us here can have that, right? Any of us have that already if we just invest in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, right? A hundredfold of brothers and sisters. You have your, you know, most people, normal people in the world, they have some friends and, you know, they have, you know, siblings. In the church, there's a reason why we call each other brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's true. This is a household. So you get, this, the, you get compassion, you get guidance, you get mentorship, you get love. It's remarkable what we have, right? We have peer relationships. We are mentored by someone. We mentor somebody else. That's the kingdom of God. That's the pearl of great value. It, it, keeps, come, it keeps giving and giving and giving. Mothers and fathers, we get mentors and coaches. Not all of us have the privilege of have functionally functional, awesome mothers and fathers, right? Like I, have, I come from a broken home. There's all kinds of loss and grief and brokenness in my physical nuclear family. And in the kingdom of God, that gets repaired. That gets redeemed. Then I have many mothers and fathers in the faith who have invested over the years, decades, into me and healed my heart. That's what you get. And then I can become a spiritual father to somebody. And I have for decades. And I have these children, right? In the words of Jesus, you have many more children. You know, you have children all over the place. It's amazing, right? If you invest, and these people will thank you forever for the investment you've made into them. 
And now that, you know, just like in, in physical children, you invest and they grow up, you go, wow, you're all big, you know, huge. In the, in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. Like, I remember how you were like barely alive, right, spiritually. And look at you, you know, flourishing, confident, joyful. What a joy that is to be a, parent, a spiritual parent to somebody. Um, we have this baby boom here, you know, in the, in the church. And it's amazing if you stick around, you'll see your children influence your, you know, somebody else's children. You see other parents influencing your children, you'll influence somebody else's children. There's this village that is raising, we're raising our kids together. That's not normal. That's a kingdom pearl. Does that make sense? That's what we get. I, when he mentions fields, he's, he's referencing something more specific. He's referencing economic um, benefits, right? I was at the peak of my career when I became a Christian, and I was already failing at my career because you're not meant to be your career. You're meant to be if a, a son and daughter of God. And if, if you allow Jesus to, to fill you up, to fix you, to round you up, you'll actually do better economically as well. You know, are you going to do better at your job if you're less anxious? Absolutely. Are you going to do better at your job if you're more optimistic and joyful? Absolutely. Are you going to do better at your job if you don't, you're not weird with people? <laughs> Absolutely. Right? If you respect uh, people who can give you something, if you respect people who are, you're serving as your clients, absolutely. You'll do better. You'll get more fields. You know, <laughs> not to mention just networking and connections, and it's amazing how many new things happen, even economically, within ch Christian communities, both local and sort of a broader, a broader range of those, right? And then he mentions something else. He, gets, he says, persecutions. You know, that's also guaranteed. It comes with territory, right? What does that mean exactly? Well, I can, I can explain it to you. If, you. if you live a remarkable life, it means you're, 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 you become remarkable. You, come, you become outstanding. Why are you outstanding? It's because everybody else lives differently. That's outstanding. That's, that's not normal. What happens if you start living like that? Haters. In any field. I don't care what field you are. If, you're out, if, you, if everybody's here and you're here, what's going to happen? Persecution. Why is that? It's deeply human to not trust something that you don't understand. Right? Deeply human in any field. And especially in the Christian world where there's a spiritual realm and dimension connected to it. Right? There's a spiritual warfare going on. Conventional methods will always give you what? conventional results. Conventional wisdom will give you conventional results. You want to be like everybody else? Live like everybody else. If you want to live, live out the, the future and the life that Jesus offers you, you'll be unconventional. Guaranteed. And people will be, feel threatened. People will feel jealous. People will feel confused by the way you live. You're going to be persecuted. 100%. Guaranteed. Your decisions are going to be unconventional decisions. You know, when I, you know, <laughs> that in that one moment when I visited the U.S., 
with my fanny pack, you know. I was giving up tens of thousands of dollars on a, something that offered unconventional value. And I had a whole range of people around me who were so ticked off at me for doing that. Why? Because they just didn't understand. It didn't make any sense. It's illogical. To me, it was logical. To them, it was illogical, right? And then Jesus finishes it up, and he basically says, all of that ROI, all of that hundredfold of all these dimensions that he wants for us to flourish in. And he finishes that up, and he says, in the present age, meaning right now, and in the age to come, which means eternity. How is that for, our, for compound interest? Eternity. We can't even fathom that. But that's what he's saying to us. Right? Why is the pearl of, of great value a no-brainer? Right? It's compound treasure. It's the stuff that not only we want, but we need. Multiplied by 100. Multiplied by eternity in time. And here's, here's the insight that I think it's, it may be fresh for you. It, it was fresh for me when I was thinking of it and praying about it this time around. In the words of Einstein, because this is a miracle, compound interest, right? And he goes, those who understand it, they earn it. And those who don't understand it, they pay it. If you translate that to spiritual terms, if you buy the field, that's what Jesus is saying. You will earn homes and fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and children and fields and some haters as well. You'll earn those into eternity. If you are if you don't buy the field, you will pay with your home, your mother, your father, your brothers and sisters, your husbands, your wives, your fields. You will pay. You will lose. You will not live up to the potential that God has for you if you don't buy the field. So when we talk about this rich young ruler, what we see is not someone who is just successful. We're seeing somebody who, who is successful in one narrow field that's about to lose everything else, probably lost it already. And then we see that merchant who buys the, who buys the pearl of great value. We see a good merchant, not a foolish merchant. We see a guy who's wise and astute. You know, We see Peter who goes, we have left everything. How about us? And Jesus is saying, now you, you're smart. You're that merchant. And I promise you. And he goes, There's a, it's a promise. This is what's going to happen. This is the ROI for your life. So this is just another way of looking at that same story. right? And I think the amazing thing is that the more you think about people who are extremely successful in one field, is that many times... 
these people are extremely unsuccessful in being a human being, a flourishing human being. And many of us can confirm that, maybe many of us, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your, your hand, but I can tell you that's, that's me. That's my story. You achieve a lot and you lose everything that actually matters. And what Jesus wants for you is the thing that actually matters for you to do well in. And the only way to do that is to buy the field. The only way to do is for, for st to stop pursuing the pearls that you think are valuable and pursue the one pearl of great value, value that gives you compound treasure on everything that actually matters forever. Right? So let me ask you this question as we prepare our, our hearts for communion. Right? If you're sort of dabbling in Christianity, or maybe you're dabbling in churchianity, will you buy the field? What does that look like for you? If you're dabbling in tribe, is this your, your pearl, this specific community? Can you make it your pearl of great value? And the reason that's important, that I don't, as, a, as I said before, I don't want this from you, I want it for you. It's because unless you buy it, you won't see the ROI. You won't see the treasure. You won't see the compound interest of it. You just won't. It's not yours. You're just sort of checking it out, right? Um, when, when uh, you know, it was, it's our 23rd anniversary today. Um, I wouldn't have enjoyed the, uh, my marriage, the compound interest, the richness of it, uh, if I, oh, there we're back here. <laughs> she wore red, uh, so she's sort of, uh, like, people from all over that who don't know us, they go, are you the one who wore red for your, for your wedding? Yes, I'm the one. Um, there's a story behind it, I'll tell you, uh, uh, another time doing fellowship, maybe. Um, but when we first... Like, I can say that today, 23 years of a blissful marriage. It's just hard to even imagine my life without it now, right? I'm, I'm so blessed. But there's a step that starts that journey, <laughs> you know, right? And that was the step. That's the first kiss. Our first kiss, again, kingdom values, right, was right there. No touching, no kissing, no physical, sensual contact before that. Why? Because of Jesus. None of us had, none of us had that history before. <laughs> you know, we just trusted. Okay, it didn't work our way, we're going to do it your way. The reason I tell you is that you have to make a decision to be all in at some point. You do. You know, Deb and I liked, we liked each other. She came and visited and we're sort of emailed. And I was, I, was, I was in love, like right away, right? But at some point I had to say, let's do this. She was about to leave and go back to, to, to LA. And, and, I'm, and then she's like, so, you know. And I said, hey, can I, I want you to move here. I want you to be with me. And, uh, and she looks at me and, and I don't know why it is. I think I was just uncultured that way, but um, I didn't say, I want you to be my girlfriend. I, don't see, I didn't see the words, right? I didn't make it. So I was just an idiot, right? And, and she goes, and she looks at me, and she goes, so what are you going to do about it? Uh, and, you know, and that was sort of the, 
So I guess my question to you is, you could be a member and not buy the pearl, not buy the field, not be all in, and you know it. Like everybody else might go, this person's all in, and you know in your heart that you're not. There's something you're holding back. There's something that you're idolizing in your life that you, want to, you don't want to give up for Jesus. What is it for you? And what are you going to do about it? Do you want the return on investment or not? Or do you want to play churchianity? And I tell you, it's just foolish to ch play churchianity because it will disappoint you. Like money. If you idolize money, money is a great servant. It's not a good master. Right? Any idol you, you choose, anything you hold back, it's not worth it. What is that one move? What are you going to do about it? For you. If you even if you're a member of, of, of this community, where are you not all in? And in our sort of, in our world, we all in means all in with your money. You tithe at a minimum. That's a baseline. You give your money, your heart, your service, your energy, your talent, your, your emotional labor to this particular community. This is your treasure. If you do that, you'll get a hundredfold. Right? That's what it is. And you can visit all you want. You can dabble all you want. No one's going to hate you. No one's going to like judge you or anything like that. God knows. I mean, some of you here are, here are some of my best friends, and you're dabblers, and you know it, and I know it, and we're still good, really good friends, right? Totally fine. You can dabble, dabble away, right? My point is, you're not going to get the ROI. And we can be friends. I love you forever, and you're not going to get the ROI because it's not mine to give. It's Jesus's to give. Does that make sense? And if you're a new person and you're just sort of trying to figure out what to do, here's what you do. You raise your hand and say, how do, how do I get in? And we just point you to the Bible and say, this is what Jesus says. This is how you get in. We have a series of studies called Discovery Studies. Ask anybody in this room who's a member of the church, and they'll sit down with you and they'll give you your, your, their prayers, their time, their hearts, and help you be in. Be aligned with God. Even if you're a religious person, be aligned with God. Discover where you're aligned, with, or aligned or misaligned with God. Discover where you're aligned or misaligned with this community. Just be all in. Just dive in. Stop dabbling. There's no ROI in that. Does that make sense? That's the call. The question is, is, this your, is the kingdom of God the pearl of great value for you? And the second question is, is, is this community the pearl of great value to you? Because if it is, just get in there, and you're, I promise you, it's something that you can, have, you can have even fathom or imagine, the beautiful wealth of what we receive. Let's pray together.